0: The following is a production of the Phoenix Studios Podcast Network here at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. For more podcasts, be sure to visit uwgb.edu forward slash podcasts. This is Serious, Serious, Serious Fun. another episode of Serious Fun. As always, I am your host, Dr. Brian Carr, professor of communication, information science, and I'm also, (laughs) I I needed to mention this uh, up front because I forgot to and I feel like an absolute heel for not doing it, Um, but I'm also on the Women's and Gender Studies faculty here at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. That's gonna be important because we are breaking format Um, I I don't know if you can really break format, this is only the fourth episode and we've already kind of done it before, but whatever, I guess there is no format. But anyway, uh, I have included today audio from a presentation I did for Wonder Woman Day at the Brown County Library here in uh, Green Bay. Now this, of course, uh, if you don't know what Wonder Woman Day is, it was a special day put together by DC Comics to celebrate the 75th anniversary of Wonder Woman last year, but also the release of her new movie. Now, I was fortunate and lucky enough to be asked to give a little talk on Wonder Woman at the Wonder Woman Day celebration at the Brown County Public Library. Uh, So this is the audio from that. Uh, You will kind of miss out on some of the pictures and uh, the presentation, but I will probably put those up elsewhere. So check the show notes and I will let you know uh, where you can look at those. You can kind of like just follow along if if your heart compels you. Uh, But other than that, I don't have much else to say, so let's get right down to it. Uh, This is Wonder Woman Day, a little talk about Wonder Woman and why she matters uh, right here on Serious Fun. Dr. Brian Carr, I am an assistant professor in communications uh, and information science at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. Uh, I'm also a completely unrepentant nerd, so this is just perfect for me. Um, I want to thank everybody at the Brown County Library for uh, thinking of me, asking me to come talk today, and uh, for letting me live out my childhood dream of speaking very loudly in a library. This is just really, really exciting for me. I also have a podcast called Serious Fun. You can go on iTunes, you go on your Google Store, whatever it is that you use. Uh, you can download it there. I'm actually recording this right now. If you can see the microphones for Serious Fun. So you can download this later and hear everything you just heard but without the pictures. So that's a really, really exciting deal. Uh, so we're going to start off. and uh, I'm really excited to talk about this because Wonder Woman, I think, is one of the most important superheroes maybe ever. And when they t- asked me to talk about this, uh, it's a l- I-, I was a little bit, There's trepidation. Let's call it that. Uh, and uh, I think the best way to get started is by asking, since we're here because of the movie, how many of you saw the movie? Did Anybody see the movie yet? Okay, just me and my wife? Okay. Um, it's good, you'll like it, go see it. Yeah. Uh, but when I was given, uh, when I was asked to give this talk, I had this sort of challenge. How do I condense 75 years of comics and cartoons and movie and, and video games and all these things into about 30, 40 minutes? I decided to talk about this because it is from a visual medium, from a visual perspective. So I want to show two pictures to you very quickly to kind of give you an idea of what we're talking about here. So the first one, there we go, Uh, I don't know who this little girl is, but this photo has been going around the internet a lot lately. Even the uh, creative uh, chief of DC Comics retweeted this. Uh, this is a little girl kind of staring at a Wonder Woman costume, staring up at a giant poster of Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman. And to me, this feels like this is the entire encapsulation of what Wonder Woman is, right? The sort of aspirational figure, the sort of thing. It's, it's inspiring, it's adorable, it's so sweet, it gives you cavities. Um, this is really, really nice. But then I thought about it. the other image that kind of sprung to mind is actually a cartoon. This cartoon is by the Canadian cartoonist Kate Beaton. Uh, She does Hark a Vagrant and some other stuff, King Baby, it's a great book, check it out. Um, But she did a series of strips on Wonder Woman. She's not a comic book fan, but she loves the idea of Wonder Woman. And so we have here a girl, uh, a woman coming up to Wonder Woman in the bar saying you're so great, you're so inspirational, but Wonder Woman's like, yeah, but what do you like about me? What do you know about me? You're just like a legend, you know? And she's incredibly frustrated by this, because the reality of the situation is that for as iconic as she is, as much as we know her, but we don't really know her, right? We know that Superman came from Krypton, Last Sun, all that sort of thing. We know Batman's parents were shot, and that um, Forsen put on a bat costume and punched uh, you know, random, <laughs> random people. Um, but we don't uh, know a lot about Wonder Woman. Okay, That's changing, especially now. Once you see the movie, you're going to know quite a bit about her. But she's always been sort of hard to pin down. Uh, And a lot of that, I think, comes really from the start. So let's go back to the beginning a little bit here. Wonder Woman is created in 1941. She is the brainchild of William Moulton Marston. He's a psychologist, he's a lawyer, he's a relentless self-promoter. He also helped develop the polygraph test and that sort of thing. Uh, and he argued that, um, basically, he like, set up this whole fake interview with Family Circle magazine where he could argue that comics were great, they had this potential to do all these incredible things for education and development, but they were very heavily male-driven. They were, very, they were focused on violence, they are focused on all these things. And he's like, we need a woman to kind of come in and uh, really sort of challenge this notion of masculinity. And Marston was really ahead of his time in a lot of ways, maybe less so in others, uh, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, but he, he suggested that um, this world in which uh, masculinity overshadowed femininity was undesirable and that women, or men, should accept the guidance and leadership of women. Marston argued that women were the superior sex. So you're all, you're all on Marston's side now. I'm seeing some cheers. Yeah, okay. Um, so, he thought, so he had this meeting with uh, a guy named Gaines. He was the editor-in-chief uh, in at All American Comics, later became DC Comics. Uh, or has actually merged with a couple other companies in like DC Comics. And he's like, all right, Marston, make me a superhero, okay? Like, well, she's going to be a woman. She's going to be a beautiful woman. She's going to fight for love and compassion. And he consulted with his wife, Elizabeth, and his mistress, Olive Byrne. <laughs> now you're losing him a little bit, right? Uh, to develop the character, basing her both on his personal views of gender politics and sexuality. Uh, he also based her on some degree, this is true, I actually found this in my research, on Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, a contemporary uh, at the time. And, uh, There's a lot going on here, as you can probably tell. There's a lot of complicated gender politics and history. And um, this is what I'm going to recommend. If you haven't, check out The Secret History of Wonder Woman by Joe Lepore. There's actually some copies in the library here, I'm sure. Um, This dives so deeply into Marston, his family relationship, the polyamorous nature of it, that sort of thing. Um, It's really important reading if you want to kind of get why Wonder Woman is who she is. so I'm going to recommend that. But I'm also going to tell you a few other things about Marston. In Marston's version of the character, of course, he came with this idea of uh, Paradise Island or Themyscira, depending on who you're talking to. Um, she was the daughter of Hippolyta. She was the princess of the Amazons. Uh, they were in this island isolated from uh, Man's World until Steve Trevor, an army captain, crash lands. Um, Wonder Woman's immediately smitten with him, wins this athletic competition to go and be an emissary to Man's World. She dons a costume with the red, white, and blue, the star-spangled shorts, all that sort of thing. And she is now the ambassador to Man's World. And that was kind of the origin story of Wonder Woman and so through all her stories she really kind of emphasizes this idea of love and femininity and as Mike Madrid puts it in the book Supergirls she's all about exercising this confidence and superiority in her own abilities nothing really phases Wonder Woman she's just like yeah I got this yeah everybody's here into gorillas I got this okay it's under control uh, and she kind of encouraged, Madrid argues, her readers who are young girls to do the same thing. So she's a really powerful character at that point. And, uh, and Marston really, I think, put it best here. Wonder Woman, Marston said, is psychological propaganda, his words, for the new type of woman who should, I believe, rule the world. Pretty bold, right? Like that was, But that was his goal. He really saw her as this character. Now, Wonder Woman... Much like her contemporary Superman and Batman, did get involved with the the war effort. She espouses really powerful World War II era patriotism. She's got the stars and stripes and that sort of thing. The villains she fought were fascists and Nazis and that kind of stuff. Um, And her comics are actually popular with girls and boys alike. And by 1943, she was in three different ones. in 1942, she actually had the chance to join the prestigious Justice Society of America alongside heroes like The Flash and Green Lantern. Um, but here's the problem this kind of shows you sort of the wall we're going to hit in a, in a second. She didn't go on adventures with them, she was their secretary. She's like, oh boy, boys, you know, I really would love to go out with you sometime, but I got to stay back here and write down all the cool stuff you do. Not what Marston had in mind, okay? Very much sort of reifying those kind of traditional stereotype gender roles. Um, And uh, unfortunately, by 1947, the Axis had been defeated, World War II was over, and Marston uh, Marson had passed away. So he really didn't have a lot of editorial oversight over Wonder Woman was going. So she kind of is in this limbo. She's still being published, but the numbers of her comics are started going down, some of them get canceled, and by 1954, this is one of my favorite parts. I love dunking on this guy every time he comes up. The psychologist Frederick Wortham releases a book called Seduction of the Innocent. Some of you have probably heard of it, in which he argues that comics are kind of like poisoning America's youth and trying to like encourage them to adopt these like uh, Uh, alternative lifestyles and all these terrible things. Of course, he has a thing on Batman and Robin where he argues that um, they're promoting a homosexual lifestyle sort of thing. He argues that Wonder Woman is doing the same thing and sort of like challenging this notion that, you know, um, and I'm I'm, I'm simplifying a little bit, but he's basically saying, look, women don't get anything of value out of this. They're just being encouraged to sort of overthrow um, this traditional view of what women are supposed to be, and that's really not good for society. It's not good for children. Um, which is nonsense. I'm just going to, editorialize here because if, if there's one thing I like doing, it's just, it's just like, just pointing this to me like, this is what was wrong with comics discourse um, for a very long time, okay? Um, Wortham is really a piece of work. I could do a lecture on him all to himself, but we're going to, we're not going to do that. Um, what was interesting is that throughout most of the 50s, superhero books were actually sort of put aside to focus on war comics, right? Um, World War II had ended, kind of Korea was going on, that sort of thing, but after a while it starts to go away, and we'll come back to that in a second. Um, by uh, by about the, like the mid '50s, you have Robert Kaniger, who's the then editor of DC Comics, kind of pushing to sort of revamp a lot of their de- their superhero titles because interest in war books was starting to go away. Um, he did he did not like the original version of Wonder Woman. Okay, found her like really violent. Didn't like the whole feminist thing. Um, but he still so he tr- but he still wanted to write her. Still saw the value in the character. So he started writing all these stories for about 20 years, I think. Um, and really kind of wrote stories that reflected the same issues a lot of women in the 1950s were facing, because they were running the factories, they were doing all this stuff, and while well, the men are off at war, but now they're coming back, and so what do you think happens to the women who had been running the factories and doing all this stuff when men come back and take those jobs? What are they expected to do? Become homemakers, become wives, raise families. And Wonder Woman is kind of putting the same thing. She's not just a warrior anymore, she's a model. Um, she's obsessed with marrying Steve Trevor. The greatest conflict in her life is that um, she can't marry Steve Trevor because she has to be Wonder Woman, but she wants to so bad, and maybe she'll give it up. She actually does, we'll come back to that in a second. Um, <laughs> By 1960, DC's focus on superhero comics actually let them reintroduce the team concept from Justice Society of America. The Justice League of America uh, is formed in 1960 in Brave and the Bold number 28. She is actually a founding active member this time. So that's progress. So she teams up with Martian Manhunter and Green Lantern and Aquaman to fight Starro, a uh, mind-controlling, world-conquering starfish. It's even weirder than it sounds. I really, really want them to use him (laughs) as a villain, because I love Starro so much. Um, All right. So a quick note on a really bizarre part of Wonder Woman's history. In the late 1960s, amidst the popularity of the mod scene that was popular, like The Beatles and that sort of thing, and the popularity of shows like The Avengers, the the British one, with John Steed and Emma Peel, not the one with Thor and Hulk, Acclaimed writer Denny O'Neill, who's a great writer. I don't want to cast aspersions on Denny O'Neill. He's a very good writer, but this was a mistake. He and DC Comics reinvented Diana Prince for a new era. They took away her things like, uh, they're like, we're going to keep the core of the character, but we're going to take away things like her costume, her powers, her origin, literally everything that makes her Wonder Woman, and she's still going to be Wonder Woman. It'll be great, guys. So she had, in their place, she, gets, she learns martial arts. She gets this kind of like kicky new wardrobe. She runs this like chic upscale boutique in New York. Um, the explanation, and you guys are going to love this, the explanation is that the Amazons had to leave Earth to recharge their powers. I actually just read this comic. It, trust me, it doesn't make sense. Um, and out of a sense of love and loyalty to Steve Trevor, yes, there he is again, Wonder Woman gives up her powers entitled to stay on Earth without the benefits of being an Amazon. The era did not last long. <laughs> It is considered one of the most controversial in uh, Wonder Woman's history. A lot of fans hated it, including one particular fan by the name of Gloria Steinem, journalists and feminist activists who co-founded Miss Magazine in 1972. Wonder Woman graces their first issue uh, with the sort of bold headline, Wonder Woman for President. Uh, it is generally accepted, I've, this came up in my research too, that Steinem played at least some part in bringing back Wonder Woman's costume and powers. She had a lot of sway with Warner Communications. They were a co-founder of the magazine. They owned DC Comics. She basically said, guys, this is messed up. They're like, you know what, we agree. So that's kind of, she was a big voice in getting Wonder Woman's powers back. For everything else she's done But she did that too, so that's a pretty impressive resume when you think about it. Um, Now interestingly enough, this magazine came out during Shirley Chisholm's run for president on the Democratic ticket. Um, That's why it's Wonder Woman for President. And uh, this arguably permanently intertwines Wonder Woman with politics. We're going to see this coming back again and again and again. The magazine, by the way, is also criticized by some feminist groups because they are, some feminist groups, I should say, uh, because they had close connections to corporate America through Warner Communications. And they argued, hey, why would they have an interest in feminism if not to sabotage it? So Steinem kind of got some pushback on it. Again, all in the book. (laughs) All right. So you may be wondering who this lady in the middle is. Anybody know who that is? Because you know who this is, you know who Linda Carter is. Kathy Crosby. Crosby. Yeah, very close. Yeah, Kathy Crosby um, was uh, part of a 1974 TV movie. It uh, was an attempt to kind of make a Wonder Woman TV series on ABC. Uh, Crosby's Wonder Woman had no powers, no costume, and worked as Steve Trevor's assistant. As you might imagine, the ratings were not great. So ABC decided, you know what, we're going to try this again. We're going to go back to World War II. We're going to make a new series. We're going to get this former Miss USA or Miss World USA. Sorry, I got to get the title right. Um, Linda Carter. This is probably the most iconic version of Wonder Woman. It is hard to argue otherwise. How many of you out here like grew up watching Linda Carter, Wonder Woman? I did too. Like reruns on, on uh, FX back when they used to show reruns of old TV shows. Love that, loved the Batman 66 show. Um, she becomes kind of this generation. So like, it's funny how often when I talk about like comics and research and that sort of thing, uh, the women I talk to are like, I loved Wonder Woman. i like get like a cape and I'd go, shoo, shoo, you know, the, the bracelets and all that. Yeah, exactly. Um, this really sort of inspires a generation of young women. Um, so, and uh, she is very popular. The show runs for about uh, four years. It switches networks midway through, goes to the modern era. And uh, I just want to point this out. There's also an animated version of Wonder Woman who showed up in these Super Friends shows of the 1970s. Um, this is, again, recognizing her as a crucial part of the Justice League. So Wonder Woman's doing pretty good in the 70s. Now, the 80s and 90s are not that eventful. There's some important stuff in there. I know, I'll get to it. <laughs> um, after the landmark event, Crisis on Infinite Earths, which was intended to simplify years of continuity and contradictions to try to make a new, rebooted DC Comics universe, um, it does not work, by the way. OK? They go all this thing like crashing the Earth together and destroying all these multiverses and timelines. They've done it at least five other times since. They, they just, in fact, just did it like a few months ago, right? They they just can't seem to stop doing it. But as part of this they kind of like went back and tried to reconcile a lot of the confusing stuff of Wonder Woman's origin and George Perez and Len Wein revamped her in 1987. Now what was cool about their run, which is considered to be one of the best runs of the character ever, was that they kept the powers that were granted to her by the Greek gods. That was the thing that Robert Kanegar had really emphasized. Um, But they changed the Amazons. Instead of being sort of like a mythic lost tribe of female warriors, they were actually reincarnations of women across history that were killed by war and at the hands of men. So it was essentially a chance to kind of give them uh, retribution, give them a chance to live again. And this is really, really important because, again, we see one of them being tied very, very closely to politics, to feminism, to that sort of identity and Perez's work becomes the standard bearer for Wonder Woman going forward like a lot like pretty much everybody who's worked on Wonder Woman since points at Perez's run and said, this is what we've liked about this, this is like the version of the character so I really want to give him a quick shout out. they did a really good job kind of reinventing and the art's just amazing um, the 1990s were a weird time for comics in general now how many of you were like did we read comics in the '90s okay I, I, yeah um, How do I put this? They decide, there's like this sort of like shift in tone towards like darkness and edginess and grittiness in the 80s. And the 90s just like took that ball and ran with it, right? So you've got these situations um, where you have like these characters like guns and blood and you know like you have like Superman getting a mullet and like this is all true. Um, he's like got a black costume now and like there's this thing with like pouches. There were so many pouches. You have like a bandolier of pouches. You'd have pouches around your thigh. Uh, and so everything was edgier, louder, angrier. And Wonder Woman was no exception. Uh, there's a couple interesting things. Artemis, a rival and ally of Wonder Woman takes over the role of Wonder Woman at this point. Diana Prince Uh, is still doing her thing but is in a costume that, I'm not sure how you describe this. There's a jacket and like a leather bustier and like belts around her stomach and and like biker pants. I'm not really sure what's going on here. I bring this up just because that costume is ridiculous. But if you want to know what comics in the 90s were, there you go. So again, it shows you that she kind of like changes and evolves. And a quick fun note, I didn't know about this until I was doing the research for this. 1997, you guys remember the show Lois and Clark, The Adventures of Superman with Dean Cain? Um, The producers of that show decided, hey, it worked once, let's do it again. Let's do a show about Wonder Woman. Great. Uh, Here was their take on Wonder Woman, by the way. Uh, In this version, she would be a Greek history professor, okay, uh, who spends more time focused on her love life than fighting monsters. There's a problem. It never got that far because it was a bad idea. But as we will learn, bad ideas never stop anybody in Hollywood. <laughs> All right, let's talk about the 2000s. Now this, uh, for full disclosure, this is really where I, I mean, I'd always, I was always aware of Wonder Woman, but this is really where I really take notice of Wonder Woman. So I'm going to talk a lot about certain versions of the character here, um, and it's purely because I'm a fanboy. There is no other explanation for it. Um, So by the 2000s, of course, this is where the superhero craze really kicks off. You have Spider-Man, you have X-Men, you have all these movies coming out. You have the Batman movies coming back. They're making this huge amount of money. Surprisingly, they had not done this for Wonder Woman, okay? So in 2006, after the success of Batman begins, DC and Warner Brothers try to bring Wonder Woman to the screen. Who do they tap? Who do you think they tap? Uh, Think about this, like, what's a really big show in the late 90s, early 2000s with a female protagonist, very action-focused, very sci-fi fantasy? fought some vampires. Buffy, that's right. Buffy the Vampire Slayer uh, creator Joss Whedon was called to do a Wonder Woman script. So he worked on this for several years, um, and he, eventually the project just dies. He cites creative differences, but it's also rumored that studio executives got cold feet because of a couple movies that came out called Catwoman and Electro. If you have not seen these movies, you have made correct choices in your life. They are very bad. Uh, and, they were, and, it's, and a lot of executives at the time saw that and thought, well, people don't want a superhero movie that has a woman in the lead. The answer is, no, we actually do. We just want a good one, okay? But that's, not, again, not how Hollywood thinks. So the project died, and, Wonder, and but don't feel too bad about Joss Whedon. He, he went on and he went to direct the first two Avengers movies and will also complete Zack Snyder's work on the upcoming Justice League and will be doing his own Batgirl movie. So he's doing okay. In 2001, this is the part I'm really excited about. In 2001, Cartoon Network airs an updated Justice League as part of its animated TV universe. They had Batman the Animated Series, Superman the Animated Series, that sort of thing. The show's incredibly popular, uh, has a very diverse cast, brings in a lot of the really kind of arcane stuff from the DC universe, and it runs into, uh, into 2006. Wonder Woman in this show, follows a lot of the kind of same uh, ideas and sort of same uh, origins we've seen so far, but she is voiced by a woman named Susan Eisenberg. She still voices Wonder Woman in movies and games and that sort of thing to this day. She is the longest-running actress to play the role of Wonder Woman is Susan Eisenberg. And if you want, if you've got some kids or if you're just a big kid at heart, track this down on Netflix or wherever it is or by the DVDs. It is probably the best superhero thing you're ever going to watch. Um, this is actually one, uh, as a personal story, my wife and I, before she was my wife, we would spend Saturday nights, I would go over to her dorm, we would watch Justice League. That was our thing. Um, and so she kind of got me into all this. So she's really the reason I'm here today. So if you, if you want to give her a round of applause or kind of just like, oh, no. Or if you also want to blame her. The- um, anyway, so uh, in 2010, big news, everybody, Wonder Woman got pants. There was a, <laughs> that's a bigger deal than it sounds. Um, they, in 2010, they attempted to do a revamp of the character. Uh, acclaimed sci-fi author J. Michael Straczynski. Great author, great writer. Very questionable track record in comics. If they bring him back to do a Spider-Man lecture, we'll talk about that. Um, but they're like, hey, you want to write this character? We're going to give her pants, and it's like, it's great. So this apparently is very controversial. I like this look. I think this is a really cool costume. But a lot of fans did not like it. Um, and this, by the way, is not the last time there'd be a fight over pants, but this is the first time, so I just want to include it. Uh, in 2011, so I, I, I like dunking on things in my lectures sometimes, um, but remember when we talk about, like, Hollywood's full of bad ideas that keep coming back? Uh, they decided, okay, we're going to take another run at a Wonder Woman TV show. We're going to go to the guy who created Ally McBeal. Some of you are already like, no. <laughs> David E. Kelly produces a Wonder Woman pilot that recasts Wonder Woman as a workaholic with a disastrous love life who pines for Steve Trevor and has ice cream-fueled sleepovers with her best friend. Starring Adrian Palicki, that was the costume. It never got picked up. All right, now we're talking about the modern age. By 2010s, DC's like, okay, we've got this really important character. She's really important. There's like renewed interest in feminism. Let's, let's bring her. Let's really take her seriously. She's now really fully on the level of Batman and Superman. She's always been on some level. She's often been considered part of the Trinity. It's Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman. Those are the three most important characters to DC Comics. Um, uh, Carly Quinn's getting up there, I'd argue, if you, have, if you get to like a fourth, that she's probably the fourth at this point. Um, she gets a new origin story. She gets a new costume in the 2011 New 52 reboot. Again, this is, I think, reboot number five or six at this point. She's no longer made of clay by her mother, given life by the gods. She is actually the daughter of Zeus. She trains with Ares. She's essentially a demigod. She also has a relationship for super, with Superman for a while. They actually have a series of comics that's just about their relationship. It's okay. Not my first choice, but whatever. It was The art's good. Uh, Gal Gadot, probably the reason we're here, uh, more than anything. She's cast as Wonder Woman for Warner Brothers' attempt to try and uh, copy what Marvel was doing and make a connected cinematic universe for their characters. She makes her debut as the character in 2016's Batman v Superman. Not a court case. Um, <laughs> would be much better if it was. Fan reaction to her appearance is strong. I, ha- uh, No less an authority than me has said that she's the best part of that movie. Uh, and a year later, in fact, this weekend, her solo film released the best reviews yet for the franchise and what is shaping up to be a stellar opening weekend. So once again, Wonder Woman picks up the slack for those other two clowns. Uh, seeing an opportunity in the market, DC decides to expand their brand to appeal more to young girls. By the way, it's pretty much the opposite of what Marvel and Disney are doing. Again, uh, this is uh, whereas Marvel and Disney kind of see uh, Marvel as like a boys brand. Like we got princesses, the girls are fine. We don't need to give them Black Widow or Electra or anything like that. We're just going to go ahead and like, you know, do all the stuff for the boys. DC's like, we have some of the best female characters in all of fiction. Why don't we take advantage of that? So they wanted to create a line of toys and cartoons and that sort of thing. that are specifically for girls. And So they create DC superhero girls where they recast Wonder Woman and Harley Quinn and Supergirl and Batgirl as high school students going to a superhero high school learning how to be superheroes. That's a huge smash hit. It's released in 2015. The toys sell out. It's a really big thing. It's making them money hand over fist. They're already projecting it to be like billions of dollars a year in revenue for Warner Brothers. All right, so we talked a lot about the history. And as you might imagine, there are a lot of different takes on Wonder Woman, and a lot of them are contradictory. A lot of them directly challenge each other. And many of them are products of their era. So I want to take a moment in these next few slides to talk about sort of like where Wonder Woman Woman is at as a character uh, and uh, what exactly she is. And so here we have one of the greatest challenges of the character. Is she a loving pacifist, like Marston intended? Or is she a violent warrior? Because guess what? She's been both. She has been written both ways. In the Infinite Crisis event, she famously murders the villainous Maxwell Lord to break his mind control over Bat or Superman. It's a brutal scene. Like literally, it, you know how head, people's heads face that way? It, it faces the other way, okay? And it's like broadcasts all over the world. People don't trust her after that. Um, she has a fight with Batman, that sort of thing. Um, in the new Wonder Woman, she fights and kills countless soldiers. And she is portrayed as a violent and oppressive fascist villain in the alternate universe of the Injustice fighting game franchise. That's a whole other conversation. Um, but so we have this sort of thing. But we also have a Wonder Woman um, who preaches love and tolerance. She's an ambassador for the UN for a minute. We'll come back to that. Um, and in many forms of media, she is herself a diplomatic ambassador for Themyscira. She goes out, she preaches um, peace and, and treaties and solutions that don't involve violence. I love this one where she's fighting a sort of Green Lantern that's injured and confused. and. Essentially, she lets him beat her up and, um, like, you know, that sort of thing. And even after, she eventually wins the fight, but rather than, like, defeat him, she reaches out her hand and tries to help him up. And that, to me, is kind of like the sort of, like, it really illustrates the sort of dichotomy of who Wonder Woman is. Um, the other thing I want to talk about is the idea of Wonder Woman as a superwoman. Now, you're like, superwoman's a different character. I'm like, yes, actually, several different characters. But I'm talking about <laughs> superwoman in the context of feminist theory. Okay? I'm going to look at Christine for a second, hope I'm not getting this wrong. Uh, as, uh, this duality of being powerful, of being beautiful, of being a professional, of being a warrior, of being a romantic interest, it's all baked into the very core of the character from the beginning. And throughout the entire existence of Wonder Woman, there's this tension between love and war, beauty and toughness. She's celebrated for her looks. She's admired for her strength. She balances this demanding secret identity with an equally demanding superhero career. So she is a superwoman. Uh, superwoman, by the way, is a term in feminist theory and research for the idea that women are expected to perform all societal roles that are expected of them to perfection. They cannot deviate. They cannot falter. Um, this is a pressure that is not put on men. If you're a man, you can be kind of bad at your job and kind of bad at bad family and all that sort of thing. If you're a woman, you got to do all. If you want to have it all, you got to be able to do it all perfectly. And this puts a lot of psychological stress and pressure on women. Um, and so Wonder Woman has actually been criticized by some feminist scholars and thinkers for this very reason. It's very easy to be all of the above, to be a warrior and a lover and a mother and all that sort of thing, if you are a demigod. It is a lot harder for a flesh-and-blood woman to do that and to be upheld to that same Standard. Now, for what it's worth, the movie actually does kind of subtly address this. It gives her chances to make mistakes. gives her chances to, make, to falter, to learn from them. It's a really sort of refreshing thing um, that they, they, you know, they, they sort of emphasizes what she's really good at, but also where she has areas to learn and grow. Um, so with all this said, where do we put Wonder Woman with all her contradictions and tensions? How does she stack up to her contemporaries like Superman and Batman? I'm going to let Gail Simone, probably one of the most well-known and acclaimed writers of Wonder Woman, put it for uh, do, do the talking for me. She says it like this. If you need to stop an asteroid, you call Superman. If you need to solve a mystery, you call Batman. But if you want to stop a war, you call Wonder Woman. I love that quote, because that to me is kind of exactly where she is. I want to talk about Wonder Woman in the UN for a second. In 2016, the United Nations appointed Wonder Woman as an honorary ambassador for the empowerment of women and girls. Yay, right? The event was intended to celebrate her 75th anniversary in the film's release, as well as to support UN Sustainable Development Goal number 5, to seek gender equality and empower all women and girls by 2030. Wonderful! We had this like nice poster, they redesigned her, um, they had Gal Gadot and Linda Carter show up at the UN. Lovely, except there was a backlash. An immediate, powerful backlash. And like so many Wonder Woman incidents, this one was tied to identity politics. The announcement came after a failed year-long attempt to get the UN to appoint a female secretary general, strike one. Many women's rights advocates argue that this trivialized their concerns, strike two. Moreover, Wonder Woman was criticized because they argued that she was a sexualized comics character with unrealistic body proportions, white skin, and a scanty costume that critics argue that made this problem of objectification they were trying to fight against worse. Now, this is always meant to be a temporary appointment. Obviously, she's a fictional character. (laughs) But they actually ended it two months early as a result of the backlash. Uh, As Jill Lepore pointed out in an interview with NPR, these are not new criticisms of Wonder Woman. If we have some time at the end, I'd like to kind of see what your thoughts on some of these issues are. So who is Wonder Woman? Uh, It's hard to pin down, but I see some recurring themes. I'm going to pick out three for the sake of argument. Uh, number one, feminism. I think this is pretty obvious. She is a feminist. There is no question about this. If you are writing Wonder Woman as not a feminist, you are doing it wrong, and you should stop. Um, she is an allegorical representation of female love, of female empowerment, of the potential of women. She leads the charge in the battle, most of the time, ahead of her male cohorts. I love the scene. Like, there's a lot wrong with Batman versus Superman, but the thing I love about it is that when they're fighting the monster at the end, she's in the lead. They follow her. And like, that's like, I'm like, yes, that is exactly right. That is exactly right. Um, To butcher an old saying, Wonder Woman does everything Superman can do, but she does it in a swimsuit and high heels. Uh, Throughout her career, this has never fully gone away. Indeed, it is the core reason for her existence, if you go back to what Marston was talking about. Now, I also want to talk about pacifism. Uh, She's not always a pacifist, okay? She'll be the first to crack somebody's head, okay? But... Contemporary depictions of Wonder Woman have settled on casting her as a moral counterpart to her superhero friends. This panel, again by Gail Simone, I think sums it up nicely. We have a saying, my people, says Wonder Woman. Don't kill if you can wound. Don't wound if you can subdue. Don't subdue if you can pacify. And don't raise your hand at all until you first extended it. I love that line, too. She is just really good at writing Wonder Woman. Equality. It's hard for a character like Wonder Woman not to advocate for some level of equality. Marston even went straight out and said, "Talk about things like liberty and justice for all, regardless of race, color, or religion, again, ahead of his time in a lot of ways. Um, the character has acted as an advocate and ally to many marginalized and disadvantaged groups throughout her history, even becoming, and this is true, the first DC superhero to officiate a same-sex marriage in last year's Sensation Comics. Wonder Woman, as we have discussed, is defined by social politics and social justice. They are a huge part of her existence, motivation to prove to pretend otherwise is to not understand the character. So why does she matter? Well, first off, she's a cultural touchstone. Everybody here has some idea who Wonder Woman is, even if you're not like a hardcore fan. You saw the movies, you saw the cartoons. You're going to see uh, you see all the old TV show. You on some level, she means something to you. The symbol that is Wonder Woman. I'm seeing a lot of you wearing it right now. Means something. Okay. And she reflects the march of feminism in history in the 75 years since her creation. She has changed, she has grown, she has conformed to the norms and standards of her time, she has challenged them. And we can make the argument, really, that you learn a lot about a culture by looking at its superheroes, at its myths. And Wonder Woman, I think, is a really great snapshot of that, maybe more than any other superhero. She's also the prototype, the archetype, from which so many other female heroes develop, Supergirl, Batgirl, Lara Croft, Miss Marvel, Black Widow, Chun-Li, Ellen Ripley, anybody you can think of, any heroine in contemporary media and genre fiction draws on some level from Wonder Woman. Negotiation inspiration. She represents these deep-seated social and personal issues and these identity concerns that many people have. As we have seen, she bears a larger amount of cultural baggage than most. For many, she's a long and sorely needed aspirational figure. Particularly in a media landscape, where fictional female heroes are hard to come by. Now, I told some of, this, I told some of you this story beforehand, but I want to tell the story real quick. When we went to go see the Wonder Woman movie, which again, is very good. But the best part was there was a little girl in our row. And by the way, there's, there's a, a lot of people coming by. Okay, uh, A lot of people, we had dads, we had, little, we had little boys, we had girls, we had moms, everybody, which is awesome. But there's this little girl in our row, about seven years old. And she was just super into the movie. She was really excited. She was looking at the screen. She was, she was pointing. She was like, she was gasping. And she was just like really engrossed. And there's the big hero. I won't spoil what happens. There's a big hero mo- moment at the end of the movie where Wonder Woman just like really does something cool. And she just starts clapping for all she's <laughs> worth. And I'm like, this is why it matters. Okay? This is why it matters to have this. I have another panel up here. Um, where Wonder Woman fights a monster and all these people come by to like look at her and admire her and that sort of thing. Because of her, we dream. Because of her, we wonder. And I feel like that's such an important thing to have. For as frivolous as comic books are, as silly as these stories can be, they mean something. And Wonder Woman means more than most. I think it's possible to make a case that Wonder Woman, even if she's not the most popular hero compared to Batman or Superman or whoever, uh, or the most clearly defined, as we've seen, she's defined by contradictions, not by a clear through line at all. She's arguably the most important superhero, especially in a moment like this, that is marked by, uh, by uh, identity struggles, and conflict, and unrest, and that sort of thing. We need her. I want to leave you with one last quote. This one comes from issue number 170 of the Wonder Woman series. She says, is, I, I want to give credit to Phil Jimenez and Joe Kelly, who wrote these words. If the prospect of living in a world where trying to respect the basic rights of those around you and valuing each other simply because we exist, are such daunting, impossible tasks, then what sort of world are we left with? And what sort of world do you want to live in? Let's see Batman say that. <laughs> uh, that's all I've got. Thank you guys for your time. Uh, if, we have any, if you have any questions or want to have a discussion, we can do that now. But that's what I've got. And uh, again, thank you to Brown County Library for having me. It's been wonderful. And thank you all for coming. So, do, do we have some time for some questions and that sort of thing? Okay, yeah. Uh, if you guys want? Can be questions. You can just go ahead and talk about like what Wonder Woman means to you or anything you want to talk. About. I'm just here to facilitate and listen more than anything. But if you got questions for me, I'll be happy to answer those too. Yeah.
1: I'm just thinking that one image where uh, I guess it was the '90s and the Robin <laughs> <no>. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that was pretty much across comic books, and they were pretty roundly criticized. Yes are making all the female characters look like that with huge breasts.
0: Yeah, and, teeny, tiny yeah, and, and you know, it wasn't just the 90s. Uh, this is still going on yeah. to this day, right?
1: I think that's why there's a lot of more nerds nowadays that are
0: yeah. coming out. Is because, I mean, truly, it attracted more men to it? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and and, and, not, not appropriately, but I'm saying I yeah. think Well, you're absolutely right. Um, A big problem in the comics industry is that they are chasing the demographic of the 30 to 50 year old male comics fan. Now, I fall into that demographic, okay? (laughs) But I will tell you right now, I don't want a comics industry that only tailors to me, right? I want stuff I can, like, some of the best things I love about comics is I can go to my nieces and nephews and share with them and say, this is this character, this is Wonder Woman, this is Supergirl, this is whoever, look at what they can do, look at what they can teach, like, um, I actually, this is, this is how much of a dork I am. I went and I bought like seven or eight copies of X-Men number one a couple years back. Because this is an issue where they relaunched the team. It was all females. Led by Storm and all that sort of stuff. And I'm like, I'm going to get a copy of this for every niece and nephew I have. And I'm going to send it to them and basically say, this is what women can do. You should not, like, you know, they should be, like, there should be no such thing. You should not fall into this idea that women are somehow lesser or anything like that. Like, you should, like, I, like, I will be damned. My nieces and nephews uh, enter a world thinking that they are somehow better or worse um, than somebody based on their gender, right? Um, But you're right in that, like, this is uh, the kind of thing, like, you know, they, they draw a lot of the female characters a certain way to appeal to that audience. And you can always tell... Not always, I shouldn't say, because there are some female artists who do this as well, but they generally tend to be a little more tasteful about it. But you can always tell the male artists and the female artists based on what they emphasize, how they pose the characters. Even in the Wonder Woman movie, which is directed by Patty Jenkins, who um, won an Oscar with her first movie and just came out and crushed it with her second one. Um, if you look at how she's shot in the movie, she is not shot with the male gaze. Like, There's a scene where she's climbing up out of a trench, and you, like, in any, if a male were directing it, you'd be like, okay, we're going to get like a nice butt-level shot of her going up the ladder. Um, It's not there, and all the action sequences focus on how strong she is and what she's doing, not on how pretty she can look. So you're right in that it's it's changing. I think a lot of it is that the markets are changing by necessity. You have digital comic spaces like comiXology and that sort of thing that are allowing uh, women and girls and that sort of people who might feel like they don't really are not welcome in a traditional comic shop. Not the one we have here in town. Powers Comics is amazing. They're like probably the most inclusive and, and wonderful comic shop I've ever been to. But the stereotype is very much if you are a woman, you don't belong in one of these places, right? Um, and so digital comics allow them to go and seek these things out in a way that traditional don't. And so that's why you're seeing a lot of characters like Wonder Woman, like the female Thor, like Miss Marvel become so popular now. Um, so it's changing, but you got, But, but that, this has sort of been a problem with female superheroes throughout the entirety of comics, is that there's always been that sexuality to them. Yeah.
1: Hey, Brian, on that subject, can you talk a little bit about some of the recent gender politics surrounding Gal Gadot, particularly, and yeah. the opening night last night down in, um, was it Austin or Houston? Austin. Oh, was it, oh, at the Alamo? You know?
0: Yeah, yeah so, yeah, I, I can mention it, um, so I, there's a couple different things, that, and, and I've been trying to kind of keep up with it, but there's been a lot, so if I, if, if you guys feel free to jump in, if, if I get something wrong, you want to correct me. Um, I know there's some criticism of, you know, how can Gal Gadot uh, play Wonder Woman, have her be a feminist character, so she has shaved, shaved armpits, the answer is, it doesn't matter, it's not your body, so, like, it, 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 like that's that's my read, I mean, maybe you can disagree with me on that, um, but, like, I don't think you, like, you don't, like, you, it's, it's not for you, I guess, for lack of a better term. Um, but uh, the other thing is that the you know, idea is like the men or the women-only screenings that the Alamo's been putting on, right? Uh, let, let me be very clear. They're a publicity stunt, okay? They're a business. They wanted publicity. They got it. Having said that, it's kind of nice, I think, to, for, a, for a theater to put out a thing where it's like, hey, you've got a character who's incredibly important to a lot of girls and women. Why don't we have a showing where they can come and they can enjoy it and they have no fear or no... Uh, you know, no uh nobody like nobody's gonna like catcall them or harass them or anything like that. For like for two hours, you can just get away from all that and just sort of hang out and sort of like what really Marston would have loved, like he would have loved an all female screening of Wonder Woman. Like that would like he'd probably be like, I'm not gonna go, obviously, but I I hope everybody does, all the women do. Um and, and it like, you know, you have, you have these guys who are like, I'm gonna buy a ticket or I'm gonna file a lawsuit and it's just like you know, there are countless movies out there that are aimed at a male audience. I just if you want my personal opinion, I just kind of feel like they, they should just let this one go. Um, but yeah, it, it, it does, it has really kind of showed, again, that Wonder Woman is at the nexus of this sort of, like, gender uh, politics and social identity and that kind of thing. She is defined by that, and you're never going to take that out of her character, but I also don't think you want to. I think she's a necessary sort of flashpoint for having these conversations. Does that, I don't know if that answers your question. Or? Yeah, it does. Okay. Christine? There are
1: just a couple of responses from the, the Alamos Absolutely hysterical. Oh, yeah, no, they crushed it. About, and there's oh, yeah. also the idea that um, uh, I got on my Facebook confirmed 31 women contact lesbianism
0: after the first female <laughs> only doing a one-on-one. <laughs> yeah, and they also apologize for destroying the male race and that sort of thing. Right, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, they had no idea. Okay. Yeah, they had I no really, idea. Yeah, the,
1: I think I read something yesterday that the mayor of Boston or Houston or wherever actually wrote a letter. Yeah. You know, somebody had written, oh, yeah. a letter, you've got to stop this. And he responded by saying, Essentially, you're crazy, women have done all of this stuff. It's like
0: someone must have hacked your email because I I can't imagine you would say something like this.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The admo draft house apologizes for starting men (laughs) apocalypse. Yeah, Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's it's but again, like that shows you like she is sort of the the focal point for stuff like this. And uh, you know it's 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 that's just part of the thing so like when this came out I'm like I'm not surprised like One Woman has been all about like this has been a big part of the character for a long time other questions or thoughts
2: yes just a thought on that like when um, with the animal uh, women's only showing mm-hmm. I just um, not to like be a down or anything but it just shows how far we still have to go when men are going to file lawsuits about something like this it just shows that these because I know one of them for sure is a white male who's yeah. doing this. I, I would say it's more has, than one. Yeah, how much power he has, but he like throws a fit about this. And I'm not trying to like badmouth men in, in general, but I mean I grew up in a culture where men are valued so much more than women, and I do not want you know our nieces and nephews to um, grow up with like that. We have 17 of them, so <laughs> <laughs> we have a lot of responsibility for that. But it just goes like more into into it like with the politics and like with life now you see how many men out there get upset when there is just a little something out there for women. Mm -hmm. And it's not, Wonder Woman isn't just for women, it's for everybody, and they can't see past that. And I feel that having discussions like this, or having Wonder Woman days like this, where everybody can access it to educate themselves, that it's not a bad thing. Nobody is having anything taken away from them. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, just learn and educate yourself about this. It won't be the end of the world, it's going to be okay.
0: I can assure you, as, as a man, I have, felt, I have faced no ill repercussions from, from yes. having one showing of Wonder Woman I was not allowed to go to. Yes. Uh, that, that is, it is okay. They were probably, like, the thing is, there were, like, 14 other showings that day or something like that. Like, you can go to a different one. It's, it's, it's like, it's kind of like, why would you get upset about that? Like, we have showings for, like, you know, the Rotary Club or something like that you know, why get upset about, it's, well, I, I know why, it's, it's, it's the, uh, fragile, it's the uh, fragility of male ego. Um, but that, again, that's what Wonder Woman's about, is challenging that, and I think this is, I, I kind of am glad the Alamo, Alamo did that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, like, it's, it's, a, it's a really interesting conversation, but like so many things on the internet, it's just mostly men yelling. Um, <laughs> and and uh, not fun to listen to.
2: Anything else? Yes. I just wanted to say, so I, I grew up
1: in the 70s, so I watched the Wonder Woman TV series, I saw the Kathy Crosby movie, um, and I remember as a kid, I was so excited to see a woman heroine, mm-hmm. it was it was amazing, and yet I always had issues, with what you were talking about, with the, the outfits, because mm-hmm. even then, I mean, you will get Linda Carter, what did you see? Boobs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You saw boobs. Yeah. Um, so I loved her, and I, at the same time, I was like, really? Mm-hmm. You know, even as a kid... But I'm so excited for this new yeah. actress. I mean, she just looks amazing. I'm so excited. You
0: will be, I, I mean. I just, mean, even just, in
1: the end of the Batman yeah. Superman movie, I was just like. <gasps> yeah. That, that,
0: that whole movie is like just two and a half hours of nothing and then, like, really cool thing at the end. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I was so excited watching
1: her. I'm like, oh my gosh, I think this is what I've been waiting yeah. for my whole life.
0: <laughs> she, like, I, I think you'll enjoy it, and they, they, again, they go out of their way to kind of, like, they don't, like, here, here's the kind of the, the, the dichotomy, like, you can't take sex and sexuality out of Wonder Woman, because that has been, that was a huge part of her origin, it was a high, heavily guiding force in the guy who created her, um, and this movie, I think, does a really good job not exploiting her, not sexualizing her, not objectifying her, but still addressing things like sex and gender and politics and that kind of thing. Um, it does not make a sexless hero out of Wonder Woman. But at the same time, it also doesn't make her defined only by that, which I think is a really nice thing. And like like you said, even with Linda Carter, like she they were there was a clear empowerment angle, but they also knew they had to get the guys in. And so they're like, you know, we're going to kind of and that's and again, that's been sort of the challenge and the tension with Wonder Woman, especially. Um, and you can even like look, look at the, the redesigned costume over there. Um, they've they've gone out of their way to kind of try to make her a little bit more. Um, you know, a, a little bit less defined by her body and more defined by her agency, which I think is like, um, you know, again, we would not see Iron Man running around in, like, a, a, an iron Speedo. Though I would write that comic. I would read that comic. Um, but, you know, with Wonder Woman, we just don't think twice, and there's the whole other host of issues that come with that. Um, but, yeah, like, I'm not, su- I'm not surprised to hear that. Thank you for sharing. I mean, sharing. And
1: truly, if you look at the men superheroes, the male superheroes, I mean, they're all built in mm-hmm. six-packs, too. So, I mean, surely you shouldn't look, think about that, but yeah. I remember as a young kid
0: thinking mm-hmm. about that. <laughs> well, and you're, you're raising a really interesting point because that's one of the criticisms that get brought up a lot by the same guys who complain about the Alamo Draft House screens, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like, why should we be upset about, like, Wonder Woman being, you know, sexually dressed and that sort of thing when men are, when all this male superheroes are, like, running around with, like, big bulging muscles and pecs and like all that sort of thing, like these like paragons of male phys- physicality. And the the, the reason, the answer is, I've, I've, I've thought about this and, and the, the, looked in the research and that sort of thing, the difference is um, when you have a female superhero, scantily clad, um, ridiculous proportions, she's there to be looked at, right? The body has nothing to do with the agency or the power or anything like that. Whereas the male body is like, okay, Superman is powerful and muscular, but it's about power, it's about combat. Batman is about power and combat. Um, whereas a lot of female superheroes are more like, okay, we're going to put this nice butt shot in this scene or something like that. Um, so yeah, like that's that's a really key kind of argument to have when we talk about this. Because on some level, all of these portrayals are objectified and exaggerated and idealized. Um, but it's just how they're exaggerated and idealized and why that makes the difference. I really like that you
1: emphasize why she's important to the culture and yeah. why she's kind of a, a symbol for now. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you can talk a little bit more uh, about something you just kind of pass over really quickly, and Yeah. that is her as a symbol of truth. Yeah, and okay. So you mentioned really quickly that um, William Martin, Marson Molson, you know, yeah. invented the polygraph, and her lasso, of course, is the lasso of yeah. truth. Yeah, uh-huh. And it's, it seems, but, you know, when you look at, at our culture now uh, with alternative facts and yeah. bad news and yeah. post-truth, mm-hmm. you know, she could be even more relevant truth, I think, as well as mm-hmm. peace, feminism, all the other
0: things we yeah. talked about. about. I, I think that's a really fair point, and like I said, I'm trying to cram a lot into yes, 30, 40 absolutely. minutes. 75 years is hard to condense down. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think there is that element. She is very much a character defined by truth um, and, and that sort of thing and like trying to get to the reality of situations and, and I think you're onto something like in a, in a post-facts world which it just hurts to say um, We I, maybe there is something more to her in that regard like you know I'm surprised we aren't seeing more like political cartoons and that sort of thing that involve her like putting the lasso on politicians or something like that um, I mean there's a free one if any, if any political cartoonists are out there listening like there's your freebie there's your Sunday comic okay um, but yeah like I hadn't really thought about that so I don't want to like I don't, wanna, like, um, I, I don't really have a full response, but I think that's a really insightful point. Um, like We could argue that maybe even more than that now, the truth is one of the most important things about this character. right? So, like I said, she is probably the most important superhero we have right now uh, based on all these things. Anything else? Well, thank you all for coming. I really appreciate it. And, uh, thank you for <laughs> indulging the thing here. Uh, they've got a costume contest and some other things going on. I, I guess I, I'm judging I am, okay. So I should probably get ready for that. But thank you all for coming and uh, check out all the other you. Thank you. So there you go, Wonder Woman. Uh, I stand by that. The most important superhero that we have right now. So thanks again to the Brown County Public Library for having me for their wonderful event. I had a lot of fun and I hope to do it again soon. We're actually talking about doing something a little bit later this year, so keep an ear out because I'll probably record that for serious fun as well. Also a big thanks to Kate Farley and everybody else who helped uh, make Phoenix Studios real. Go check out all the other podcasts at uwgb.edu forward slash podcasts uh until next time i am your host brian carr this has been serious fun and now you go out and you know what let's do a bit different this time you go out and be wonderful
2: you just listened to a phoenix studio production the podcast network for the university of scotts green bay For more podcasts, visit uwgb.edu forward slash podcasts.